Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. by. Welcome to the London Mining Third Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today. Ms. Marie Inkster, President, CEO. Thank you, Operator, and thank you, everyone, for joining Lending Mining's third quarter 2021 results call. I'd like to draw your attention to the cautionary statements on slide two, as we will be making several forward-looking comments throughout the course of this presentation and in the Q&A. On the call to assist with the presentation and here to answer questions are Jinhee McGee, our Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, Peter Richardson, our Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer, and last but not least, Peter Rockendell, presently our Senior Vice President of Corporate Development and Investor Relations and the incoming CEO of Lending Mining. In early September, the company announced that I will be stepping down as President and CEO. This was a difficult decision for me, but one that I could take with the confidence that the company will continue to do well and knowing that I am leaving the company in a strong and healthy state with considerable breadth and depth of the many talented people and teams across our organization. We have fantastic assets and a culture from which the company will continue to grow and be successful. I'm excited that the board has selected Peter Rockendell to succeed me as president and CEO. Many of you know Peter well, not only from his time with Lending Mining, but also through his prior leadership positions in the metals and mining capital markets. Peter's experience and reputation in our industry and within the company make him an ideal fit to lead Lundy Mining. Thank you, Marie. I'm extremely excited for the opportunity to lead our team and continue building on our success. I've been working closely with Marie and the senior leadership team for the past three years, and the recent transition has gone very smoothly. In the past few weeks, I've had the opportunity to spend valuable time at Chapada, Nevis Corvo, and Zincurban with our respective site MDs, senior management, employees, and a number of the unions. Next month, I will be spending time at Candelaria and the Eagle. I've also been working with my colleagues in the recruitment of key personnel to complement our existing technical team. We look forward to providing more details on that in the new year. During the next quarter, I look forward to connecting with many of our shareholders, hopefully in person where possible. With that, I will hand the call over to Jin Hee to talk to the quarter's results. Thank you, Peter. On slide four, third quarter production of copper, zinc, and golden concentrate all improved over last quarter. This performance is more impressive in the context of planned downtime taken for major maintenance activities out of Candelaria and Nevis Corvo operations. We produced over 115,000 tons of base metals and approximately 46,000 ounces of gold in the quarter. We also sold near 100,000 tons of base metals and approximately 42,000 ounces of gold on a payable basis, generating revenue of over $755 million. We remain predominantly leveraged to copper with the metal generating nearly 70% of the quarter's revenue. Zinc, nickel, and gold each contributed 8 to 9%. Slide five presents a summary of the third quarter results compared to the same period last year. We benefited from significantly higher base metal prices this quarter compared to the third quarter of last year. We realized a copper price of $4.02 per pound below the average market price of the quarter, mainly reflecting a $0.09 per pound of prior period adjustments. Prior period adjustments for zinc, nickel, and gold were less impactful with lower volatility and relatively small quarter-over-quarter changes in price. Details of the price adjustments are in our MDNA. Third quarter revenue of over $750 million increased more than 25% over the same quarter last year. In the first three quarters of this year, consolidated revenue has reached over $2.3 billion. Attributable net earnings from operations were $0.24 per share, and adjusted earnings were $0.23 per share for the quarter. 
both are substantially greater than the third quarter of last year. In the first three quarters of this year, we have generated nearly $540 million of adjusted earnings. Details of the adjustments are broken down in our MD&A as well. We generated adjusted EBITDA of over $410 million in the quarter and through the end of September had generated adjusted EBITDA in excess of $1.2 billion for the year. Cash flow from operations was over $520 million for the quarter. This was positively impacted by working capital changes driven largely by trade receivables at Candelaria, where sales that occurred in the second half of Q2 were collected in the third quarter. Adjusted, adjusted operating cash flow before changes in non-cash working capital items was nearly $300 million, or $0.40 cents per share. In the third quarter, we generated a record free cash flow of over $400 million, bringing the total generated in the first three quarters to over $760 million. Under the company's dividend framework, the regular quarterly dividend of $0.09 cents Canadian per share and an inaugural semi-annual performance dividend of $0.09 cents Canadian per share was declared and paid during the third quarter. Again, yesterday, our Board of Directors declared a regular dividend of $0.09 cents Canadian per share. In total, the dividends annualized to $0.54 cents Canadian per share for total yields of approximately 5%. The company remains in a very strong financial position. Cash and equivalents approached $430 million at quarter end, even after more than $110 million of dividend and stock repurchases and repayment of $100 million of debt. The company's financial position has improved further since the end of the quarter. Net cash is now approximately $405 million, with cash and cash equivalents of $445 million. I will now turn the call to Peter to discuss our operations. Thank you, Jinhee. Starting with Candelaria on slide six. The operation performed in line with expectations, producing nearly 36,000 of tons of copper and approximately 20,000 ounces of gold at a cash cost of $1.62 per pound copper. We successfully completed two planned major maintenance downs, which impacted overall throughput for the quarter, though tons milled, ore grades, and recovery rates achieved were in line with plan. Similarly, cash costs were also in line with plan, though compared for the to the second quarter, they were impacted by planned maintenance. Slightly higher than forecasted magnetite, gold, and silver byproduct credits fully offset modestly greater than planned operating costs. We have reiterated Candelaria's production guidance of 150 to 155,000 tons of copper and 85 to 90,000 ounces of gold at a cash cost of 155 per pound of copper. Given the production of the first three quarters, this implies a strong finish to the year. We forecast the average copper feed grade to increase meaningfully this quarter, and we have been realizing this thus far. With only one planned maintenance down mid this quarter, we expect to achieve greater throughput quarter over quarter as well. The key driver to production this quarter is achieving the necessary mining rates of the high-grade ore from phase 10 of the open pit to maintain the overall feed grade near the current levels. Full-year capital expenditure guidance has been reduced by $20 million to $345 million, mainly on deferral into 2022 of items such as some of underground development and underground mine technology, as well as work on the truck shop. This leaves roughly $120 million for the fourth quarter. Moving to slide 7, I'll give an update on where we are with initiatives to improve plant throughput and on the next slide, the mine-to-mill grade discrepancy. We continue to prepare and optimize life of mine plans for all operations as part of our annual planning process. When our board of directors approves the final plans in late November, as per our normal course, we will provide a three-year production outlook and a one-year C1 cash cost and capital expenditure guidance for all mines. Crushed pebbles are currently being recirculated to the sag mills, thereby reducing the amount of fresh ore that can be fed to the plant. The aim of the debottlenecking is to reduce or eliminate the return of crushed pebbles to the sag mills. Basic engineering is underway on several initiatives. These include modifying the pebble hopper and the loading system to better distribute pebbles across the three crushes to utilize all three as efficiently and as effectively as possible. And engineering of a partial bypass of the pebble ball mill such that excess fine pebbles can be sent directly to the secondary grinding circuits the ball mills of the plant instead of being returned to the sag mills. Study and investigative work is also underway evaluating the conversion of the existing pebble ball mill to a rod mill. All to be confirmed with our late November annual guidance and outlook release, 
Those studies complete to date envisage procurement and construction in 2022 with tie-ins in 2023. Also, to be confirmed, total capital costs are expected to be in the order of 10 to $15 million. Moving to slide eight on the mine to mill grade discrepancy investigations. We saw an improvement in the third quarter. As discussed last quarter, preliminary plans being developed for Kendall area consider a mine call factor of five to eight percent for the next few years. This slide presents a number of the actions that we took in the quarter, both in the mine and the mill. Some of these have been completed while others are ongoing. From the list of actions and next steps, you can see that we're taking a methodical approach to, ident to identify and eliminate sources of dilution and discrepancy across the mine to mill process. One of the more exciting next steps and a good example of the use of technology is the next or magnetic resonance analyzer or MRA trial project. This project is designed to allow direct grade estimation by each ore source and even by individual truck loading arriving at the primary crusher and will allow for easier and earlier identification of possible ore dilution by source to then develop action plans to address the root causes and at the identified source. A secondary benefit of this as a technology demonstrator for the ore sorting project, which is identified in the EIA that is currently in review process with authorities. The project is presently a one-year trial. Equipment construction on site is underway with the installation and tie-in anticipated for early next year. Moving to Chapada on slide nine. Chapada had an excellent quarter. Copper production exceeded 16,000 tons which is a 43% increase over last quarter. Similarly, gold production increased 48% quarter over quarter to approximately 26,000 uh, ounces. This was achieved primarily on greater than planned throughput and metal recoveries. A new mill throughput record was set for the second quarter in a row with processing over 6.4 million tons. And a new monthly mill record was also set in August with over 2.3 million tons processed. Recovery rates of both copper and gold improved significant over the third quarter and were modestly above plan. Production guidance has been reiterated for both metals. Considered within guidance is planned mill maintenance during the fourth quarter. Copper and gold grades and recoveries are expected to be, remain strong. Third quarter production costs on a per ton mill basis were in line with plan, while the cash cost of 62 cents per pound copper was better than expected, mainly owing to stronger production. We have been experiencing general inflation across the operation cost structure, particularly in areas that would be expected, such as fuel, ocean freight, explosives, and other consumables, such as steel, which, have, which we have been managing well. All considered, our full-year cash cost guidance of $1.10 per pound of copper has been reiterated. Full-year capital expenditure guidance has been lowered by $10 million to $55 million, primarily on deferral of some projects and some land acquisitions. This leaves roughly $50 million for the fourth quarter. On the exploration front, we continue to make excellent drilling progress. We completed over 20,100 meters of drilling in the quarter on near mine targets and in the Formiga area. Having completed over 49,000 meters in the first three quarters and with a seventh rig added in late September, we're on track to complete 65,000 meters for the year, expanded from the originally planned 60,000. At Chapada, our primary focus remains on near-mine exploration to better understand and define the mineral resource potential and inform our ongoing expansion studies. Eagle on slide 10 had a good quarter. The photo on this slide is of the team members accepting the Sentinels of Safety Award for both 2019 and 2020 for the Small Underground Metal Group. This is the second year in a row that Eagle has been recognized for its safety performance by the U.S. National Mining Association and the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Mill throughput was impacted when compared to prior quarters, given mine sequencing that at times limited ore production rates. Compared to recent prior quarters, production of both nickel and copper reflected nickel and copper grades as expected. As a result, third quarter production of nickel and copper both exceeded 4,100 tons at a cash of cost of negative 80 cents per pound of nickel. With minimal capital expenditure of less than $5 million, Eagle generated nearly $70 million of cash in the quarter. For the th first three quarters, total cash generation is over $230 million from nearly $245 million of operating cash flow. Production, cash cost, and capital expenditure guidance have all been reiterated. 
We're continuing technical and economic studies evaluating the potential of mining mineralization in what is referred to as the kill zone. This zone of disseminated mineralization is lower than that of Eagle and Eagle East or bodies. However, given the proximity to the existing ramp infrastructure, has the potential to be economically mined at the current spot nickel and copper prices. In addition to the study work, we are doing infill drilling along the contact to further delineate this zone. Five extension targets, mainly off Eagle East, have also been identified for drilling from underground, likely as part of our 2022 program. Moving to Nevis Corvo on slide 11. Third quarter production totaled nearly 8,100 tons of copper, 16,000 tons of zinc, and 1,400 tons of lead at a cash cost of $2.05 per pound copper. As previously indicated, we had planned downtime from mid-August to early September for the annual maintenance in the copper and zinc plants, and during which we completed upgrades to the shaft as part of the zinc expansion project. This work was completed slightly ahead of schedule, and production was as planned for the quarter. We have reiterated production guidance. Without interruptions, throughput levels are expected to improve quarter over quarter, and metal grades and recoveries to remain strong in the fourth quarter. Operating costs in euro on a per ton mill unit basis were modestly above plan, and though were better than planned on a US dollar basis due to favorable foreign exchange rate. The cash cost of $2.05 per pound copper was better than planned, as higher than forecast zinc byproduct credits offset modestly higher than expected operating costs on a per pound basis. Full year sustaining capital guidance has been lowered by 5 million to 60 million primarily on timing of payments. This leaves roughly 30 million for the fourth quarter. Shifting gears to the zinc expansion project, consistent with previous expectations, constructions will be substantially complete by the end of the year with ramp up to a core over 2022. Pre-production capital of 430 million remains unchanged, as does our 2021 capital expenditure guidance of 70 million, with approximately 30 million remaining to be spent in early 2022. Slide 12 shows the latest progress on the underground. During the quarter, as mentioned, we successfully completed the shaft upgrades. The mechanical installation of the materials handling system is now complete, including conveyor belt works, and we have commenced all remaining excavation works. Over the next month, underground work is focusing on completing the service water piping. You can see a section already complete on the support rack in the picture on the conveyor tunnel on the left. Complete final commissioning of all the electrical rooms and then commissioning and hand over all the material handling system to the operations team. The photos on slide 13 show some of the progress on the surface from the third quarter. During the quarter, construction and coal commissioning of the new cyclone station was completed. All remaining works on flotation, filtration, and tailings was started, and third, quarter, third tailings paste thickener was successfully commissioned. Over the coming months, remaining surface work is to include odd commissioning of the cyclones and handover to the operations team and finalization of the, all the remaining flotation, filtration, and tailing works. The project is well positioned to be substantially complete by the end of the year and ramped up over the course of 2022. On slide 14, Synchroman continued to perform very well. Production increased and cash costs improved further over the second quarter, primarily on better-than-forecasted mill feed grades. Productions totaled 22,900 tons of zinc, 850 tons of copper, and 7,000 tons of lead at a cash cost of 32 cents per pound zinc. Operating costs on a per ton milled unit basis were modestly above, however, the cash cost was better than planned on a higher byproduct credits. We have reiterated production and cash cost guidance. This does imply a quarter over quarter reduction in zinc production. We expect the mine and mill to continue to perform well as they have all of this year and are considering an extended campaign of processing stockpiled copper ore this quarter. Full year sustaining capital guidance has been lowered by 5 million to 45 million, primarily on underground development savings. This leaves roughly 15 million for the fourth quarter. Exploration continues with the focus at the moment on, on the areas between Birkeland and the new Greenland or Bots. Nearly 5,000 meters of exploration drilling was completed in the third quarter, bringing the first three quarters to a total of 16,900 meters. With that, I'll turn the call back to Marie to sum up. Thank you, Peter. Slide 15 provides a summary of current guidance. 
As discussed in previous sections, production and cash costs for all sites are on track to meet annual guidance, and so no changes have been made. We have revised sustaining capital expenditure guidance for all of the operations with the exception of EGLE. In aggregate, 2021 total capital guidance has been reduced by $40 million to $575 million. The reductions primarily owe to deferrals and timing of payments, so while removing them from this year, they should be considered in 2022 forecasts. Full-year exploration expenditure guidance remains at $40 million. We are well positioned to achieve the target of over 140,000 meters of planned exploration drilling this year. And with that, I'll hand it over to Peter Rockendall for a few words on our capital returns and his view looking forward for the business. Thanks, Marie. Our operations performed well in the third quarter, most notably with quarter-over-quarter quarter production increases and cash cost improvements at Japan and Zinc Rubin. With the shaft upgrades and major maintenance complete at both Nevis Corvo and Candelaria, operations are positioned for the fourth quarter to be the strongest of the year. We were able to continue to take advantage of the current price environment and set another quarterly record generating over $400 million of free cash flow for our shareholders. We have generated over $760 million of free cash flow in the first nine months of this year. Of this free cash flow, we have directly returned over $175 million through our dividend framework, not including the regular dividend declared yesterday. This positions us very favorably amongst our peers. At the same time, we have indirectly returned $36 million through the repurchase of our shares in the open market. As I assume the executive leadership, creating value by investing in our own assets and remaining disciplined in our approach to pursuing external opportunities will remain core to our strategy. And with that, operator, I would like to open the lines for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Greg Barnes with TD Securities. Yeah, thank you. A couple of questions. First, on the pebble crushing debottlenecking program at Candelaria, is that going to be enough to get the plant up to the planned capacity that, that you had in the CMOP, I believe, was a 5% increase in throughput. Or will you have to do other, make other steps? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Um, sure, thanks, Greg. Peter Richardson, did you want to address that? Yep, I can address that. So, as, as I said, we're primarily focusing on, on the bottlenecking, the pebble crushing. Uh, circuit, which consists of pebble crushers and a, a ball mill. So we have an, a number of actions planned uh, to debottleneck that. We're in the midst of uh, doing some investigations and also basic engineering, uh, and we hope to finalize that early next year and then secure and, and build during next year to tie in the improvements uh, early or late 2022, early 2023. And we have our internal uh, targets for what we, what we believe this is going to be, and, and we're going to be closing the gap versus the original CMOP uh, project. So, yes, closing we have the gap. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, this is a question for Peter Rockendale directly. Um, I've had a number of clients suggest to me that your appointment as CEO indicates that Lundin is going to ramp up its M&A strategy. I disagree with that view, but I, I think 
you know, Lundin's always had an M&A strategy, but I'd just like to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I think you've got the, the right answer already, Greg. Um, our M&A strategy has not changed. You know, we spent a considerable amount of time in the last one to two years reviewing opportunities, um, speaking with a number of counterparties. That, that won't change on a going forward basis. A lot of these companies vary in size from being considerably larger than us to equal size to, in some cases, much smaller and earlier. But, you know, we're just looking always to focus on creating value and all the possible ways that we can do that. And one, one thing I will confirm, because there was a bit of a confusing article in the paper a little while back, is at no point in time will we ever consider getting into the coal business. So I can assure you that's not going to happen. Um, but if you look at our track record, Larry Eagle and Chapata, I think it's you know, from an M&A perspective, it's been quite positive, and, uh, you know, we, we look to continue on that front. I don't think my change will uh, affect the timing of anything. It's business as usual. Yeah, thank you. I, I was a bit confused by that cold comment as well on the globe, but uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And your next question comes from the line of Jack O'Brien with Goldman Sachs. Good morning, um, everyone. Thank you for taking the questions. Um, my first is just following up on that capital allocation point. You, you mentioned you have net cash of more than $400 at the end of the quarter. Um, and, you know, if we were to revert the business back to sort of one times consensus net debt EBITDA, you, you could buy back probably one third of your market cap today. Um, and that's notwithstanding. Uh, further cash generation through the fourth quarter and into next year with with today's copper prices. So, just interested to hear more. You know, given an unchanged M and A strategy, a competitive environment to pick up new assets. You know, the extent to which you would be willing to uh, either buy back or or or, 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 or via a special distribute significant returns to shareholders that way, um, given your balance sheet strength. That's the first question. Peter Rockendale, you can... Sure. Uh, thanks, Jack. I mean, I guess I would say we did purchase uh, shares with the NCIB in the third quarter. Um, you know, it was a large amount, I believe 1.1 million shares, just below $9. So we did transition the NCIB from a discretionary to an automatic plan, but with a price threshold. So we'll continue with that on a going forward basis. We obviously made some uh, uh, bumps to our dividend in the last quarter. And we've also put in a performance dividend, which is 40% of the available cash flow. So if we do not have a use of proceeds, I think in 2022, you can see that probably continuing. Uh, that being said, it's not mutually ex exclusive to be able to hub the dividend and still look at growth opportunities. So, you know, we'll do our best to return cash to shareholders. I think the last announcement we had on the dividend was extremely well received. A lot of investors have been asking for, you know, returns of capital during these strong commodity, commodity markets, excuse me, and, you know, if not now, then when. So we were quite happy to have what I would say is probably one of the best dividend policies and strongest yields in our peer group, and we look to continue with that going forward. Thank you. Um, and, and, and just... Um, want want to touch on on, on Candelaria. So clearly, you'll you'll come back with um, more clarity at the year end um, regarding 22 and 23 guidance. Can I just? I mean, it, it, is there any scope in your view for 2022, 23 production to be below 2021? If we were just sort of looking to conservatively set our forecasts into next year, do you think there's any scope for production to be below? this year? Uh, no. The simple answer is no. No, fine. Okay, thank you. And, and I wanted to follow up just on various feasibility studies, because it feels like um, the feasibility studies, both at Candelaria and at Chapada, are, are slightly on the go slow, whilst um, you're, you're dealing with various operational issues. Perhaps you could just touch on, on whether the thinking's changed there. Yeah, I, I, Peter Rockendale, I can speak to the Chapada study. Um, you know, we continue to work on our expansion options. In fact, there's a group of Toronto um, people heading down to site next month. Uh, I was also just recently there. So the work continues quite positively there. 
the expiration we are currently getting will likely impact those decisions. Uh, we have had some favorable expiration results, and that can impact where we may put infrastructure and some of the size of that infrastructure. So, you know, if there have been delays, it's arguably so we can, we can make the right decisions going forward. Uh, we hope to provide to the market some perspective on where we're heading in the fourth quarter. However, it will likely be the new year before we give greater detail. And, and, and just final, final question, um, you know, on, on that Chipata study, my understanding was, you know, the first decision could be made second half 22 and then, you know, all, all going well to plan. And, and, and then, you know, that could be a potentially a, a, an early 2024 ramp up. That would be the kind of earliest, earliest that, that you know, production could start to, to pick up at Chipata. I think the actual start date, we would have to wait to see what the uh, decision is as far as the project because the size, uh, location, and a few other uh, inputs will impact when it actually begins. But as far as giving uh, direction to the market, I think your timing there is right. Thank you. That's it for me. And your next question comes from the line of Orth Walkadel with Scotiabank. Hi, good morning. Um, just again on Candelaria, uh, I realize you're, you're you're doing a bunch of studies, but when do you think you would have a from a timing perspective have have a handle on the grade reconciliation issue? Um, yeah, Peter Richardson. Yeah, so we set out uh, during um, late Q2. Uh, we put it together an action plan uh, that was we set set out. Uh, we're following that. Uh, rigorously and, and follow up that on a weekly basis and we're in the identification phase uh, and uh, but at the same time we're rectifying things along the way as, as we see them and improve things uh, so we've done a lot of actions to the open pit uh, sampling systems and the underground sampling systems improved our, our short-term forecasting and have a other uh, actions uh, planned same at the mill uh, we have made a lot of changes to our sampling system the procedures that we work uh, around our sampling systems, our assaying systems, and also have some further actions um, uh, to work on. We've seen an improvement quarter to quarter on, on our discrepancy, uh, so that, that's good, uh, but we still have further actions uh, to go before we, we finalize that. But during the first half of next year, we should have a better grip on exactly what we need to do to, to finalize it. Finalize the okay. Improvement. Okay, thank you for that. And then um, uh, just turning back to sort of M&A, um, just I, I realize your your strategy, it sounds like your strategy is not going to change too much, but I'm just wondering if given the current metal price environment we're in and the immense strength of your balance sheet and free cash flow profile, whether Lundin would consider, I guess, relaxing some of its very rigid M&A criteria when it comes to things like jurisdictions or size of deposit, um, development project versus producer. Um, can you give us your, your thoughts there in terms of whether you see any change to that profile? Yeah, Ruth, I think you're, you're pretty accurate on that one. It's, it's very challenging to uh, have the, the lines, if you will, kind of uh, as, as firm as they have been in the past. So we're not looking to go into any uh, – jurisdictions we're not comfortable with, but, you know, would we maybe invest in something um, that doesn't have the same amount of production as we're anticipating, but still quite large, we would. Would we maybe invest something a bit earlier stage, we would. So we, we may flex one or two of the parameters, but generally speaking, we, we do want to stick pretty close to the way we've approached it in the past. But you have, you have seen a lot of other companies out there um, I don't think I need to mention them, but big companies speaking how they're having to go into other jurisdictions that they were previously not comfortable with. We've seen some pretty big companies looking at very small projects. So the, the current commodity price does make the, the M&A uh, market pretty challenging, but um, that doesn't stop us from um, carrying on conversations with a lot of companies. In some cases, we've had some very uh, interesting conversations um, with parties I don't think people would expect us to be talking to. Okay, interesting. And just a final one for me is, do you, do you feel like, just given your balance sheet and the outlook for your assets, do you think 
sort of Lundin's reached the point of its evolution where you'd be willing or interested in perhaps participating in a large greenfield type of copper project, or is that still sort of considered too risky? Greenfield, is pro like we, it's unlikely we're going to go after something when we don't see a line of sight to production. Um, you know, if it's something that's maybe five, six years out, we've always stated that though from the beginning, we would look at things maybe on that timeline, but going after something that's probably 10 to 15 years out, um, I, I don't think we're there just yet. Okay. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Abby Argoal with Deutsche Bank. Yes, thanks, Operator, and good morning, team, and thanks for taking my questions. I had a couple of uh, follow-ups on Candelaria. My first question is, uh, do you think the, bubble, uh, the pebble crusher option which you've laid out today, is that sufficient to get through put back to the four kilotons per day, or is there a chance that you cannot get to those levels? That's my first question. As I, as I said uh, uh, a, while, a while ago, we have, we have, we're working on uh, a number of options to improve uh, the capacity of our, of our pebble crushing circuit. So we have uh, three options that we're working on. We're doing detailed engineering and uh, we have, hope to have everything finalized, uh, constructed next year. Uh, that will take us closer to the, um, the, the expectation or, or the, the, the CMOP um, numbers that we, that we presented a number of years ago. And of course, we're going to be pushing that to beat that going forward. So, you know, we will continuously look at other uh, options to improve uh, the capacity of the pebble crushing and make sure that we optimize the throughput in the mill. Got it. Cool. Uh, my second question is also on Candelaria. So on the mine to mill uh, grade discrepancy, which, you, which is currently being observed, can you discuss what's your best guess in terms of where this, uh, where this is coming from? And also, the second part of this question is, uh, given that the source of this problem has not been identified, is it fair to say that 2024-plus guidance, so should we be thinking about 2024-plus you know, uh, guidance also, if, this, uh, if there's uh, no potential solution identified to this in the near term? Thank you. So on the, on the first question, uh, you know, I would say my, my, my best guess is operational practices, right? Tightening up uh, the way we, we plan the way we, we mine, the execution of the mining, uh, but also, you know, sampling and, and the whole process around mine, mine to mill. So that is, and that, that is part of our, our action plan. So we, we've been looking at everything uh, to make sure that there's nothing that we've missed. So that's, that's the answer to my first question. Could you please repeat the second question? Sure. My sec the second part of this question was, you know, given the source of this problem has not been identified, is it fair to say that 2024-plus guidance versus the technical report could also be impacted? Oh, beyond 24. Um, that is what you know, we're, we're working on, on our uh, budget and our long-term plan at the moment, and those will be presented to the board here end of November. And we we will we will come back to the the, the next three year guidance. Please. Got it. Thank and at you. At the moment. Oh. So at the moment we don't see any any requirements or to update our technical reports. But if that's the case, we'll come back to that uh, by by end of November or later this year. Uh, thanks a lot. And your next question comes from the line of Daniel Major with UBS. Hi. Thanks very much uh, for questions. Um, a couple just uh, on the numbers to start with. Um, good release of working capital supported free cash flow this quarter. Can you give us any guidance on um, how you expect that to move through uh, Q4 and into next year? We see some, will we see any reversal of that? release the working capital this quarter. Yes, you know, with the, may, uh, the metal prices where they are, we do expect a strong Q4 um, from a cash flow perspective. And you will see that we did um, lower our guidance on our CapEx. And so you'll see some of, you know, about $40 million of that deferred into 2022. 
Um, so again, um, seeing a, a slightly higher capital on the on the Q4 uh, based on the capex. So the other thing that you will see is that you know provisionally um, price adjust, uh, pricing that we did at the end of Q3, we had about seven over 70,000 tons of cost were provisionally priced at about four dollars and five cents per pound. If you take that um, and you know assume that's going to be settled, let's say at um, you know in, in Q4 at current prices, that is going to be a significant amount. Now, the cash flow on that, we may not get into Q1 of 2022, um, but again, with these metal prices, we do expect a strong Q4. Sorry, just to be clear on that, um, just specifically on the working capital, do you would you expect a further build in working capital or release of working capital in the fourth quarter? No, that is really tricky to predict. Um, it's it's the, the timing. You know, if you if you try to do it at the end of the year, it it could be a week or two off, and it can make a significant difference. If you you know just have one or two sales that that um, just miss the timing, so that is really difficult to expect. However, I guess if you think that you know metal price is uh, are higher at the end of the year than Q3, then that would generally signal a, a a slight build in the accounts receivable. Okay, very clear, thanks. We might see a little bit of a lift. Um, we expect our inventory balances to build for uh, our consumables and key supplies because we have been ordering well in advance of our usual timelines due to supply chain. So because of that, you'll see a modest build in the, the non, um, you know, the non, um, Trade receivables area in the in the working inventory um, that aren't stockpiles, but that's uh, minimal. Okay, thanks. And then um, I know you'll obviously provide more detail on capex with the year ahead outlook, but um, I guess looking at the previous technical reports um, and then the deferral of the forty million of capex or there or thereabouts in this year. I guess points to a number somewhere around the $500 million mark for next year. Is that a reasonable um, working assumption at this point? Yeah, we'll, we'll update the capital guidance in, uh, in at the end of next month with the budget. But you can expect that okay. there will probably be some excess over technical reports just because we've been you know, unable to execute on some of the projects due to COVID restrictions, plus we've had deferrals. So, I think that would naturally speak to the fact that we're trying to actively spend more capex to invest in the business, but have been constrained. Got it. Okay. Um, and then um, just on Chipada, you mentioned um, providing some more details to the market in Q4, but don't expect, um, I guess, full 43-101 until next year. Should we apply from that? You, you'll be publishing some uh, interim drill results or reserve and resource update. Um, what sort of form would that um, additional information on Chapada take? Well, we we have seven rigs on Chapada right now, so it's pretty active. Um, we're just not in the habit of putting out individual holes. So the plan would be to put out uh, a more fulsome release in Q1 with uh, you know a, a whole series of holes and hopefully some color around the, the exploration plan going forward. Okay. And then um, just final question for Peter, and sorry, asking so many questions. In the M&A discussion, um, <clears throat> is there any change to your preference of commodity um, going forward? Uh, is it still very much copper-based metal focused, or is there any deviation from from that in terms of M&A strategy? No deviation whatsoever. Still copper focused. Great, thank Got it, thanks a lot. And your next question comes from the line of Jackie Frisowski with BMO Capital Markets. Um, thanks very much. Um, most of my questions have already been answered, um, but I'm going to ask, you've probably already touched on this, but um, I'll, I'll ask you again just, just so I have some clarity. 
Um, you, you've outlined, uh, Peter's outlined some of the uh, initiatives you're doing at, at Candelaria to improve the um, uh, both the grade reconciliation and, and the mill issue there. Um, you, you've already given some guidance for the 2022 guidance uh, that is going to be a bit lower than uh, than previously disclosed. Um, can you give any directional indication on 2023? Are you expecting that, you know, versus the guidance that you've previously disclosed for 2023, do you expect that you'll be able to recover or should we be bringing our estimates for 2023 down as well from that um, previous guidance disclosure? No, I don't think you, I think the numbers we gave out previously are where we're uh, targeting and we'll give more clarity on that uh, in the latter part of November when we come up with the guidance. Okay. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't make, I wouldn't make any adjustments to your, uh, okay. the, the previous ones. Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, on, on Shapata, um, I know you just, you were talking about the, the exploration. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the timing of the expansion plan? I think uh, I've kind of lost track of when that's, when that's due to come out. Um, and, uh, and are you going to continue exploration beyond that? So is this, should we think of this as sort of an interim plan um, with more um, fine tuning to come or, or are you confident that you'll get all the drilling done that you need done? Um, well, from a drilling perspective, I mean, this year I think we're going to be doing about 65,000 meters, so there's a lot of drilling going on. As I mentioned earlier, there's seven rigs there at the moment. Five of those rigs are up in an area called Formiga, as well as a, a new zone that we'll discuss more in Q1. So the timing is being impacted by the expiration at the moment. That's one of the big impacts. So I'm hoping that, as I've said in an earlier call, we can provide some direction uh, in Q4 and then we'll look to get some form of more specifics out in the new year. Okay, uh, uh, so like in terms of, sorry, just in terms of the timing on the on the expansion plan, should we expect that sort of like sometime next year? Is that probably the best yeah. way to think about it now? Okay, okay. Um, and then and maybe one last question just to circle back on the M&A theme. Um, with the comments, Peter, that you just made about, um, you know, uh, uh, copper focused and something that has a, a site, site to uh, site to production. Um, I mean, some of the other smaller assets or smaller companies within the Lundin group would fit that bill pretty well. Is that is that totally off the table uh, to look at something within the Lundin group of families, or or is that something that would be potentially um, you know potentially of interest to you guys? I know it's in the past you've said that um that you know you're trying to avoid appearance of conflict of interest but is there a way that you could you could kind of look at those assets um to combine them somehow we would treat them like we would any other company so if there was an asset that was in a another company we would uh, we would take a look we would do the due diligence arguably more due diligence than we would normally Historically, our work has been focused on, you know, the deal is kind of like Candelaria, Eagle, and Chipata. Um, but we have also looked at, as I mentioned earlier on the call, we've had discussions with a couple of companies significantly larger than us, where there was interesting opportunities to unlock value. And then we have looked at situations that are earlier stage and much smaller. Um, you know, we, as I say, we would treat a, one of those companies no different than we would treat any other company. Has it been announced who's going to um, who's going to succeed you as the head of the corporate development team at Lundin? No, it has not yet. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. And your next question comes from the line of Stefan Ionu with Cormark Securities. Hey, great. Thanks, guys. Um, just just curious, actually, on Eagle. Um, just with the ongoing exploration there, do you have any sense of um, sort of how far out you might be from converting some of that exploration work into potentially extended mine life, or is it still kind of early days to to talk, to talk on that? Yeah, we've we've discussed in the past that there's an area called Keel, which we're currently working on. Um, it's not included in the mineral resource at the moment, but uh, the mine has been designed to provide easy access in a positive commodity uh, price environment. 
and arguably uh, in this strong nickel market right now, I think that that would um, it would certainly give us the ability to, to expand the operation. So I believe we're going to be in a position to come out with a decision Q1. Q1, Q2. Yeah, Q, Q1 of 2022, we'll have a decision. There's also five new extension or, uh, targets underground that we're focused on, and historically we have not been doing a lot of exploration. So in addition to this keel area, there are some underground targets that we're now starting to uh, garner further interest in. So I think there's a lot of potential for positive news in 2022 out of Eagle. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks very much, guys. And your next question comes from the line of Johannes Masvalos with Morgan Stanley. Uh, thanks very much for the presentation. Most of my questions have been answered. So I've got two left. The first on uh, on cost inflation. Um, overall, the unit costs were pretty good in the quarter, and you reiterated guidance. But uh, could you talk about underlying cost inflation? Um, are there specific parts of the business? Um, that are seeing more of it, and how should we think about uh, cost development into next year, both in terms of uh, unit cost, but also capex? Thank you. Sure, and uh, Jen has been following this very closely, and one of her favorite topics to talk about, so I'll hand it over to Jen <laughs> Thanks, Grace. Um, as we said, we have um, observed uh, inflation and global demand impacting, uh, I would say, mainly um, in our operations, fuel prices and ocean freight at this point. Um, overall, where we've seen the most impact is in, in Brazil. And, um, you know, with the um, with inflation, we can't think about over 10% now, the annual inflation, the government has increased interest rates as well to try to curb that, but overall, um, where, let, let's say, uh, fuel prices have increased, I would say, kind of 40% or so, and ocean freight has increased quite significantly. But in Brazil, where we are seeing the most inflation, we are also getting the benefit of a weaker uh, Brazilian real. So that is um, having a significant impact in offsetting some of that cost inflation. So in the tax cost guidance that we have provided, um, for the remainder of the year, it does take into account these, in, these inflationary impacts, and, um, and you know we feel confident in the cash cost guidance that we've provided. I guess going forward, is I think the second part of your question is what we expect um, in 2022. Um, we will be providing additional guidance on that uh, next month, and um, you know provide more clarity on that. And, and same thing with capex. Thank you. That's that's clear. Thank you. And the second question, going back to M&A, um, we have seen a number of uh, transactions uh, this year, and Lendin hasn't hasn't participated there. Um, was it that mostly a function of price, or were there other considerations or restrictions, such as ownership structure, uh, jurisdictional exposure, or any other elements that could uh, restrict your um, opportunity set uh, going forward? Yeah, I think we're aware of the most recent two transactions that have been announced in the marketplace. We would have been extremely familiar with both of them, but uh, at the end of the day, there were certain criteria that uh, didn't work for us, but I don't think um, I'm happy for the new owners to have the assets. Uh, so I won't speak to what our, uh, our conclusions were on our due diligence. Uh, understood. And maybe just a follow-up here. We are seeing potential for new entrants into into the base metal space, maybe more so on the nickel side to some extent, coming from either, either downstream companies or coming from uh, companies in the precious metal space. Do you see that as a um, real threat in terms of uh, greater uh, bidding competition in the years to come, or um, is that not really a concern when you when you look at uh, potential targets um, uh, right now and maybe into 2022? I think in the areas where we've been focused over the last two years from an M&A perspective, we haven't run into any uh, competition from those type of entrants. Great. Thanks very much. And our final question will come from the line of Dalton Beretta with Concord Capital. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Lots of questions on M&A today. Um, I wanted to start by asking about um, 
Chile and just what the latest you're hearing there in terms of the fiscal regime. Sorry, so do you want the question to be about the political situation or about investing in Chile or a combination? Uh, well, we'll start off with the political and uh, the overall fiscal regime, and I've got a follow-up on the investing side. Okay, well, why don't I talk with the political end, and then uh, Peter Rockendell can speak to the the uh, investments in M&A. So on the, um, on the mining royalty, of course, um, as, as many things political go, it's a slow uh, go. It seems to be mired in the Senate right now. And uh, clearly what was raised from the lower house earlier is not going to be um, accepted by the, the current Senate. Now, we don't expect anything to happen before the election. They may come out and, and have a vote on whether or not they should legislate, but I don't believe that it would be a vote on what that final legislation would look like. Uh, I believe they are still um, debating whether it would be a profit-based royalty, uh, which would be an amendment to the sliding scale that we already have on mining, um, uh, or whether it would be a revenue-based royalty. So, you know, we don't expect anything to happen on that end of things until after the elections and probably not until the new year because we anticipate that there will be a runoff. Uh, on the election side, the, um, you know, the Constitutional Assembly just started really last week to discuss key issues and content. Before that, they've just been really discussing rules of order. So that's a slow process, but they're still anticipating they'll have something uh, by next August in order to present to the people. The, um, the presidential election, as we've seen in many other countries, has become extremely polarized. The centrist candidates, both center-left and center-right, have fallen after the debates, and um, what has emerged is a very far-left and a very far-right candidate as the one-two, so uh, with a lot of undecided voters. So it's really difficult to call at the moment, and it'll be a pretty interesting November, but we do anticipate that. Um, you know, on the original election on uh, November 21, there will be no clear winner and that we would have a runoff just slightly before Christmas. So there won't be uh, clarity on that for some time. But uh, anyway, on the, on the investment in climate, I'll hand it over to Peter to talk about investment in Chile. Yeah, I think uh, there's always, I mean, we think Chile is a great place to do business, but as far as further investments, I think we're inclined to see how things play out uh, during the elections and any, any changes that come from those election results. Got it. Okay. And then maybe just uh, a broader question then on M&A. Peter, you know, the, the company's strategy historically has been to basically pluck on love stuff from the back of other people's cupboards. But I'm just wondering, you know, in the current environment, are you seeing more or less interest in people clear, clearing out their coverage and trying to surface value from these assets? Um, I think as you get into a higher commodity price environment, it, gets, it does get more difficult to find value in that approach. And if you look at our assets that we've acquired historically, there's usually been a, a good, good reason why the seller had to get to, uh, or not a good reason, but unfortunately they had to sell them for their own issues. Uh, that's probably going to be unlikely in this environment. So most of the things that will surface during this time are probably not going to appeal to us. Um, if, they're, if they're coming from another company, I don't think they're going to be financially distressed, put it that way. Okay, and then maybe just one last one following up on something Oris asked. Um, in terms of looking at these greenfields, um, as you said, things that are five years or less out, how comfortable are you with the company's current skill set in terms of actually building something at scale? Well, we've got a lot of strong technical people uh, within Lending Mining, but we've also started a bit of an initiative where we are recruiting some people right now. Um, you know, one of the things I can speak to is we hope in Q1 that we'll be making an announcement of some additions on the technical side. And during this process, I've been incredibly pleased with the quality of people that are coming forward. I think it speaks volumes to our reputation as an employee of choice. So I would ask you just to stay tuned there, and hopefully we can talk more about this in Q1. That's perfect. That's all for me, guys. Good luck, Marie. Good luck, Peter. Thank you. Great. Thanks very much. And. Uh... 
I won't look forward to the next call because I won't be here for that one, but the team uh, does look forward to the next call and uh, getting, most importantly, our new guidance out to you in November with our three-year outlook for production and one year on CapEx and cash costs. So that's uh, the next thing coming. Um, and uh, yes, after 53 quarter ends with Londine, uh, thanks to all of you for your support and uh, the team will be happy to receive all the questions next time. Thank you. And thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.